Concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. Now, there is a big difference between real money and what we call money, which is actually just currency. So our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, on the other hand, like silver, for example, is a store of value over time. The best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash back in the late 60s, the late 1960s, that $1,000 would still be $1,000 technically, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. Now, if you had saved that same $1,000 in silver back in the 1960s, today it would be worth around $28,000. So one of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all of your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Assets Metals banner. This is the only company that I personally trust with this kind of thing. Click on that and sign up to get your free silver report today. One of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. Hey everybody, welcome to JPD Weekly. I am your host, Josh Peck. We got some exciting stuff to talk about today. I've been doing some research into the midpoint of the tribulation. I'm really interested in this topic, just how these events are going to line up, like in, in what chronological order, because there's a lot that happens right in the middle. Um, so to, to back up a little bit, and by the way, if you're interested in this topic and... Uh, and you haven't already, head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get a subscription because we got a ton of stuff like this on that website, on our website. There's uh, lots of videos, lots of uh, mainly prophecy and end times topics, but um, other, other stuff as well. You'll definitely find something that you like. Uh, and by the way, we are having a, a tiny bit of issues with our with with some people on some web browsers with our uh, website. We are looking to improve the website, which of course costs money, which is why I'm uh, trying to get you guys to get a membership uh, if you can. But um, when you when you sign up, when you log in, it, it's gonna it's gonna look like it takes you back to the login page. Just leave it alone and let it sit and it'll it'll bring you in. It's because it's loading all the videos and it just takes a long time. Like the server literally can't handle it. So that's that's why we, we need to we need to raise some money to improve that. Um, but uh, that's only some people on certain browsers. So not everybody is gonna have that issue. Uh, but yeah, so um, just yeah if you if you like this kind of stuff Get a subscription. Okay. Dailyrenegade.com. Dailyrenegade All right. So let's start at the beginning. Um, let's start at the rapture. So I'm a, I'm a preacher, a rapture guy. I, I, and I'm actually becoming more and more convinced that there's going to be a long period of time between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, for those who don't know, the rapture isn't what starts the tribulation. The tribulation starts when the Antichrist makes the covenant with many. Um, the, the, 
the seven-year-long thing. And we read about that in Daniel. So, um, but I, I'm becoming more convinced that there's going to be a long period of time. One reason is uh, in Ryan Peterson's phenomenal book, I actually have it right here, uh, The Final Nephilim. Excellent book. I highly, highly recommend it. There's, there's a lot of great stuff in there. But he lays out a very convincing case that the Antichrist will actually be the literal son of Satan, which makes sense. Because we know from Genesis 6, there was a time where angels fell and they mated with human beings and they had giants, uh, giant children. The, 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 the children that were born from this unholy union were completely unnatural, weren't supposed to exist, uh, and they were, they were giants. They were Nephilim. That's, that's the Hebrew word. Um, so, we also know what the punishment was for that. Uh, we read about that in Jude and Second Peter, that the fallen angels who committed that sin are bound in the abyss right now. They're bound in the bottomless pit. Satan is not. So Satan did not commit that sin. Yet, in Revelation, at the end of the tribulation, what happens to Satan? He's bound in the abyss for a thousand years. Well, that's the punishment. We know what crime fits that punishment. The crime is uh, when an angel meets with a human woman uh, and has a child, that that transgression requires the judgment of being bound in the abyss. So Satan is in the abyss during the millennial reign, which means sometime before that he must have committed that sin. Um, and I believe that happens right after the rapture. Now, why not before? Because a lot, a lot most Christians actually uh, nowadays, especially those who believe in the literal interpretation of prophecy, say, yeah, the Antichrist is probably on the earth today. Well, I think I think every generation has a potential Antichrist. I mean, even John uh, says that there's many Antichrists. Um, and presumably there, there always will be until Christ returns. But the Antichrist, I think that, I think Satan, you know, he knows the Bible, he knows scripture, but he's also not perfect. He doesn't have perfect knowledge. So I think he always has a candidate kind of waiting there. Like if, I don't know, if... Um, if the rapture happened during Hitler's reign, you know, th then Hitler probably, Satan probably would have used Hitler as the Antichrist. But, uh, so I, I, he probably has that kind of like backup plan, sort of. But I think what the goal might actually be um, is as soon as Satan is able to, I think he's going to want to impregnate a woman and have his own son. Because Everything Satan does, it, it is a twist. It's a it's a satanic version of what God does because Satan doesn't have any original ideas of his own. He he takes from God and does it his own way. So, for there to be an antichrist, uh, it would make sense if he could that Satan would want to have a a literal son. Now, why does it have to be after the rapture? Why not before? Well, I think because of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, I don't think angels can do this right now, not in the church age. Um, because when you look at church history, even Apollo, uh, and you can find this in the writings of Lactantius, I have a hard time saying that one, uh, and uh, Eusebius, uh, both early church fathers. But Apollo, when 
Christianity was spreading and uh, you, you had more Holy Spirit filled Christians around. Well, that Holy Spirit influence on the earth has a restraining effect to the kingdom of darkness. So even Apollo, it got to the point where he couldn't even talk anymore. And when he did talk, he, he was like starting to speak the truth. He had to admit that he was demonic and he had to, he, he like actually admitted that there is a God above him and he's just a, he's just an angel. And uh, I, I write all about this in my book, Lost Prophecies of Qumran. But, um, but, and, and then, it, and then it got to the point where he just couldn't speak anymore. He was just done. He could he couldn't even he couldn't even speak through an oracle or anything. So if if a fallen angel can't even do that, then I really doubt that they're going to be able to impregnate women. I don't think that that's possible in the church age. Now, when the restrainer is removed, when the rapture happens, that restraint is gone, and I think that will be the time where we're going to see a lot of this this stuff happen again. And I also think that's why we have uh, magic and sorcery and that kind of stuff in Revelation describing the tribulation period. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of witchcraft and idolatry and sorcery and stuff that you find in the Old Testament. But in the church age, we, we, don't, we just really don't see that a whole lot. Now, there are areas in, in the world that don't have a big Christian influence where that kind of stuff still happens. But even, even that, I think there's still a, a restraining effect on it. Whereas when the Holy Spirit's removed, when the restrainer's removed, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. Um, I, I don't think that... I, I think that the powers of darkness will have a lot more free reign to do things. Um, so, so I think, right, basically right when the rapture happens, I think that Satan will impregnate a woman, probably an Israeli, uh, because, again, I, I think Satan's going to try to mimic as much as he can of Jesus, but put his own satanic twist on it. I mean, Jesus said, you know, you, you don't receive me, but another you'll receive, you know. Uh, so I think that the Antichrist is going to deceive people and, and try to set himself up as the Messiah. And I, I don't see the Jewish people accepting somebody who's not a natural born, you know, Jew uh, as Messiah. So, oh, and I, I just want to make a real quick point to that. There are some that say that that view is anti-Semitic and I've never, I don't really understand that. The, the view that the Antichrist might be Jewish. And I say might because we don't know. Uh, could could be a foreign king, an invader. There, there's a lot of stuff with that um, Assyrian uh, description that we get, I believe, from Daniel. And, and, and Ryan Peterson talks a lot about that in his book. But it's not an anti-Semitic view. Uh, it's it's just, it, it just kind of makes sense with the, with, what the Bible says about the Antichrist and how he really does seem to be setting himself up as a, a Jewish Messiah. Um, but I, I don't think that that view is inherently anti-Semitic. Now, can people take that view and make it into something anti-Semitic? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's disgusting. And uh, for people who do that, I, I, I wish people who had extreme views like that against Jewish people, I wish they wouldn't even use the word Christian to describe themselves because that, that's a very anti-Christian attitude. Uh, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But the view in itself, that interpretation, I don't, I don't see how that is inherently anti-Semitic. Um, Israel has had some good kings and some bad kings. It's like any other country. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. But, uh, 
But I, so I, I, I say possibly because I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent convinced on it. Um, actually a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, I'm not a hundred percent convinced on, but, uh, but it's something that's interesting to, to think about. So if, if Satan impregnates a woman right after the rapture, well, that child is going to need time to grow up and come into political power. And, um, so that could take two or three decades. Um, and then eventually we'll start the seven-year covenant with many, uh, which we read about in Daniel. And that is what will begin the tribulation. And again, that could be 20 or 30 years after the rapture. Now, now think about how deceptive that could be. Rapture happens, a bunch of people disappear. The world freaks out, you know. And probably initially a lot of people are going to say, you know, I had a Christian friend who's gone now, but he always talked about this rapture thing. And what else could this be? Nothing like this has ever happened before. You'll probably have people who just immediately give their lives to Christ because they're like, okay, that, that, that does it for me. That This is a real thing. But now imagine seven years go by and there's no Antichrist, no return of Christ, no nothing. Uh, people are going to start doubting, especially after 10 or 20 years. I mean, because now you're going to get a generation of post-rapture people who were born after the rapture, so they don't have the memory of it. Um, you know, it's like people who who were born after 9-11 don't have the same appreciation for it that people who were born, who are alive while it happened may have. You know, to them it's history. Like, to me, World War One is history, right? I don't have the same appreciation for it as somebody who would have lived at that time. Um, so you're going to have post a post-rapture generation of people that uh, are probably going to think, you know, those Christians who thought that that was the rapture, that's really silly because it's been like 30 years and nothing has happened. So imagine how deceiving that could be. That Maybe that has something to do with the strong delusion uh, that Scripture talks about that God sends in the, in the end times. But, so let's say the, the Antichrist comes to power, and let's just say for sake of argument that he's like the king of Israel at, at the time. Uh, well, the way that it was, and it seems like it's going back to this, it, it seems like after the rapture, that's like the end of the church age, um, and, and especially because we know we have this seventh week of, of uh, Israel. We have uh, the 70th week. We have this seven-year period that is still kind of owed to Israel. So it seems like during that seven years, it goes back to Old Testament rules. Um, it's not church age anymore. It goes back to the way things were done in the Old Testament with sacrifices and stuff like that. And, and again, I want to I wanna make clear, sacrifices were never about salvation. So people will say, you know, well, the sacrifices in Ezekiel, they can't be literal because Christ was the one and only sacrifice and we're not going to be sacrificing in the millennium. Well, we're not because we don't sin, but but uh, there will be people in the millennium who have sin natures. There are people who survive the tribulation uh, and they go into the millennium. And, and we know that they have sin natures too because Satan at the end of the thousand years corrupts some of, some of them. But uh, um, so... It seems like for that 70th week, for that seven-year period, it seems like Israel goes back to the old ways. So they're going to have a temple, sacrifices, all that stuff. Uh, which also means there's going to be a king, prophet, priest, because that was kind of the system they had. Well, we know the false prophet, 
uh, we, we read about that in Revelation. We read about him. So it makes sense that the Antichrist would probably be king, and then there would be some high priest. Um, now, so Antichrist is probably ruling Israel as king at the beginning of this covenant, um, or sometime before, but at least at the time of the covenant, let's say the Antichrist is the king of Israel. So three and a half years go by, then what happens? Oh man. All right. Uh, so let's read Revelation 8. And then I want to connect it with something from Leviticus, which this is pretty cool. All right. Revelation 8. So this is when God opens, well, this is when Jesus opens the seventh seal. Seventh seal is broken. And it says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Have you ever wondered what that was all about? I think we actually have an answer to it. Uh and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. All right, so what is going on here? So we have this heavenly scene. Now, what's really interesting is the ancient Essenes, they were contemporaries of uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the ones that actually held on to the true Jewish religion the way it was supposed to be. Um, they, they held on to the true interpretation of the Old Testament. They had a belief that uh, they said the reason why it was so important to do the temple rituals on the correct days and the right ways is that in the heavenly te temple, angels were performing heavenly temple services at the same time. Um, now, what exactly those services are, we don't know. I'm sure they're not sacrificing animals and stuff, but there's some there's some correlation there. But they but they believed that time worked the same in heaven as it does on earth, and you have to do it on these precise days because the angels were doing their part as well. And somehow the, these things came together. Well, that that's, that's kind of the context of this heavenly temple scene. So if we want to know when in the timeline this happens, we just need to ask, well, what festival, what, what, what ritual, what feasts, what, what, what has these elements, you know, the censer, the incense and all this stuff. Well, let's go to Leviticus 16. <clears throat> uh, so Leviticus 16 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. So right there, right off the bat, we see you don't do things right, you, you, you die immediately. That's going to be important later. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. This is the holy of holies, this is the very center of the, the temple. Uh, lest he die, for I will appear in the clouds above the mercy seat. Um, then it says, uh, verse 3, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen 
turban. He shall be attired. Uh, these are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and his house. I want to pause real quick. And when you're, when you're thinking about this, think, like, how would Satan pervert this? Like, how, how, if Satan really wants to insult God, how would he pervert this? Uh, verse 7. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. It's actually interesting when you take that back to Hebrew, scapegoat there is Azazel. Uh, and we actually read in Enoch, Azazel was the one who uh, convinced these 200 watchers, these 200 angels to, to you know, basically fall from heaven and mate with, uh, mate with human beings and produce these giants. Verse 8, then Aaron shall cast lots for... Oh, we did that one. Verse 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat in the wilderness. Now, I believe Christ represents the goat that was sacrificed for for us uh, there, there's at least a connection there which would mean the one for azazel that might be the antichrist that, that could be representing the antichrist so keep, keep that in the back of your head um verse 11 and aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement this is the day of atonement make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as the sin offering which is for himself then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. So we have the incense, we have the censer, and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. Okay? <clears throat> if he doesn't do this right, then he dies. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Interesting that we have seven there and Revelation is full of sevens. Um, okay, so I'm convinced that Revelation 8, the seventh seal, is broken on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and... I'm just looking at my notes because I, I had a theory. Uh, I, I was I was going through this, uh, and I, I had a theory that didn't end up panning out. But I still have some of those notes, so I'm just trying to make sure I don't accidentally put those out there. Um, okay, so so this is really cool. Further further evidence that this occurs on the Day of Atonement. Um, In Robert Thomas's amazing commentary on Revelation, it's a two-volume set. You should get it if you can. It's it's phenomenal. But he notes in there, uh, on this passage, that this uh, in Leviticus, this this whole Day of Atonement, this 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 whole sacrifice and incense stuff, took 
a half an hour to complete. That's how long it took. Well, there's silence in half an hour. Why? Uh, I believe that this Day of Atonement ritual is going on, but I think the Antichrist is actually doing it, and he's doing a perverted version of it. I think he, th this, is, this is when he, because during, halfway through, he stops the sacrifices, and he basically shows himself to be as evil as he is. Um, so, the Antichrist desecrates the temple, and I believe it's with this ritual. Now, how, how does he do it? Like, how does he, how did he, how does he pervert this? Well, there, there's several ways he could, but it would seem at the time, you know, a high priest is never mentioned, but it would seem at the time, if Israel goes back to the old way, you know, they have a temple, they have sacrifices, they're going to need a high priest. Well, what if the Antichrist goes into the temple and uses the high priest as the sacrifice, just, just murders him? And uses his blood for for the. I mean that that certainly uh, would pervert this this ritual. Now, what would the punishment be for that? Because a king is not supposed to do these temple services. That's for the high priest. And there's actually a really interesting, very interesting uh, event during the reign of Uzziah. 2 Chronicles 26, starting in verse 16. It's talking about uh, King Uzziah. Now, remember, kings are not supposed to perform temple duties, and if the temple duties aren't done right, there's, there's consequences. So it says, uh, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So it's, it's interesting that it's that, same, it's that same incense ritual thing. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, note this, Leprosy broke out on his forehead of all places. Leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. Um, and Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. So, Immediately, when he started doing this, and his forehead, he started getting this leprosy thing. Now, I, I guess he, you know, seems like God was a little gracious with him. He was able to get out before it killed him. Uh, it says King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. So, uh, so he was a leper for a while. But he got leprosy on the forehead that if he would have stayed, likely would have killed him uh, on the spot. So... Imagine the Day of Atonement, 
the angel is doing the incense thing that the angel's supposed to do, but there's this silence thing. <clears throat> there's a silence in heaven, probably because something desecrating is happening in the temple. So let's say the Antichrist, um, and, and maybe, maybe there, maybe during the Antichrist seven year reign, there is no high priest and he just acts as both. I don't know, but let's say he desecrates the temple. Then there's a couple different ways he could do this. He, he, he could murder the, the high priest that's in charge at the time. Um, or if he's trying to be a perverted version of Christ, what about, what about something like this? He's doing the ritual. Maybe he uses his own blood. Um, Maybe he 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 becomes his own like the the bull sacrifice that's for himself. You know that Aaron was supposed to do in Leviticus sixteen. Maybe he decides he's going to be the sacrifice. Because think about this: this is the Antichrist. You know, Satan is going to want to copy everything that Christ does as much as he can. So let's say he, I don't know, takes his sword, cuts his hand, you know, whatever, and then starts sprinkling his own blood around the the temple. That would be a desecration, right? Well, what, what's the punishment for, for the king doing the priestly thing? All of a sudden, maybe he starts getting this leprosy on his forehead. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> uh, if you're thinking Mark of the Beast, you're in the right, you're, you're in the right uh, headspace. But uh, let's say that he gets the leprosy thing, but he doesn't leave and he dies. Because remember, we, we also have something about the Antichrist who has a, 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 a deadly head wound and comes back to life somehow. Um, so let's say, let's say he, he's desecrating the temple, he's doing this and he dies. Uh, now at that time, remember what, what is the Antichrist? Well, he, he, he would be a Nephilim if this whole literal son of Satan thing is correct. He'd be a Nephilim, which means according to the book of Enoch, when the Nephilim died, when the giants died, they became demons. That's what demons are. So they didn't go to hell. They certainly didn't go to heaven. There really wasn't a place for them because they were never supposed to exist anyway. So they're just kind of on the earth. Well, presumably that would be the same when the Antichrist dies. That that demon spirit, the Nephilim spirit, would leave, but it wouldn't go to hell or heaven or it would just be here. So, um, so at that time, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, who's a Nephilim, the literal son of Satan comes out of the body but doesn't go to hell because it's a demon now. And again, Enoch says demons are the spirits of dead Nephilim. So Satan, or possibly Apollyon, and I'm actually leaning towards Apollyon now, because, okay, so how does the Antichrist comes back to life? Well, another spirit, I think, possesses that body. And I used to, for a long time, I used to think that it was just Satan himself, but now I'm not so sure. I actually think that it's Apollyon because um, Revelation 11.7 says, that the beast that came out of the bottomless pit uh, would would be the one that that overtakes and all all this stuff. Well, so this this event would have to happen sometime either at or after Revelation nine when the bottomless pit is opened and the locusts come out. Um, so it seems like Apollyon Apollo actually, uh, who we were talking about before, he comes out of the bottomless pit, possesses the body of the Antichrist. Seemingly, the Antichrist is resurrected. He comes back to life. This is a false resurrection because, again, Satan is trying to copy everything Jesus did. And the false prophet commissions this project, the image of the beast, that people need to build this image. And then, and then it says something weird, that 
the image comes to life. How could that be? Well, we have this Nephilim spirit of the Antichrist. That Nephilim spirit probably possesses the image of the beast. So when the image comes to life, the false prophet, because uh, Revelation says it's a false prophet that does something. He, he, he has authority to give breath to the image of the beast or something like that. Um, probably through some dark magical ritual, uh, the, the false prophet is able to have the former, the spirit of the former Antichrist now dwell in the image and the image is uh, allowed to come to life and move around and stuff. I don't know what the image is. I don't know if it's just a statue or if it's a robot or clone or who knows. No idea. But whatever it is, it seems like that's how that could work. And then Apollyon, because it says it's from the bottomless pit, and that, that's, the, that's the thing that comes out of the bottomless pit. That's the king. Um, Apollyon then indwells the body of the former Antichrist, and then you have the false prophet as well. Um, now... At that point, seeing where I am with my notes here. You know what? Actually, where are we at on time? Um, I think it's at, at that point that Antichrist, after the resurrection, kills the two witnesses. And I think that's why people worship the Antichrist, because imagine, I mean, up until this point, Israel has had to deal with these two witnesses, and nobody can kill them, nobody can get close to them, they can breathe fire and send plagues, and they can do all this miraculous stuff. But, when their time is over, the Antichrist, who now is resurrected, is able to kill them. So you can see how people are going to, how, how Jewish people especially, are going to assume that this is the Messiah, Right? Um, and But this is also when he puts an end to sacrifices and all that stuff. Now, there is one strange thing with the locusts, because it says in those days, Revelation 9 said, this is after the bottomless pit is opened, locusts are released, Apollyon comes out. I imagine the first thing Apollyon does is indwell the body of the Antichrist after the death. Um, and, and I want to make note, too, it, it says that It, it, it first says that he had a deadly head wound, and then a little later it says, and we'll, we'll look at these passages in a minute, but it says that uh, he was wounded by the sword. I don't know if it's probably the same wound, but it doesn't specifically say that. The deadly head wound might be different than the wounded by the sword. So one thing I was thinking is, is possibly um, wounded by the sword. That could be him cutting his own hand with his sword for blood to desecrate the temple with, with his own blood, could be. And then the deadly head wound is the leprosy thing. Um, or it could be talking about the same thing, and then the leprosy thing has nothing to do with it. I don't know. Uh, but, in Revelation 9-6, it says in that, in those days men shall seek death, but death will flee from them. This is the days of the locusts. And most assume that has something to do with the mark of the beast. That the mark of the beast does something to people's genetics where they can't die. Um, and I, I think that that's plausible. 
So how would the timeline work then? It could be, and again, this is all, this is speculation. It could be the bottomless pit is opened. Locusts and Apollyon come out. Apollyon indwells the Antichrist. Uh, the former Antichrist spirit indwells the image of the beast that they're making. Um, now, the whole Mark of the Beast system, even though it hasn't been implemented yet, it could have been in the works. It could have been being developed. So I think because it uses that kind of ambiguous phrase in those days, we know that they have, the, the locusts have uh, um, 150 days to torture people, but we don't know when that 150 days starts. We don't know if it starts immediately when the bottomless pit opens or if there's a gap of time. It could be that um, the Antichrist is resurrected, now indwelt with Apollo, and then the false prophet has people build the image. The image is indwelt by the Nephilim demon spirit of the Antichrist, pre-death Antichrist. And it could be then that he starts this Mark of the Beast thing, makes sure people... Because the Mark of the Beast has to come after the image. Because um, they have to worship the image and... Uh, it, that seems pretty clear. So after the image, then the Mark of the Beast thing is, is rolled out, however long that takes. Um, probably not long. I mean, as we've seen with the, uh, you know, recently with the latest craziness, you know, just the, the vaccine. I don't want to get, I don't want to get this deleted on YouTube, but um, we can see how fast the, the, those things can roll out. Um, not saying that has anything to do with the Mark of the Beast, but it's just, a, it's an example. We can see how fast something like that could be rolled out. So that gets rolled out, and then at some point, I think Apollyon tells those locusts, "Okay, go ahead." So it might be a few days, a couple weeks, you know, it could be a couple months. We don't, we don't really know. Um, so it 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 might it might be that after the locusts are released, they don't attack people right away because it has to be sometime after the the uh, mark of the beast. It, it seems well, it seems like. Um, because the wording is they attack those without the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, so it doesn't specifically say those who have the mark of the beast, but it would seem the antithesis of the seal of God on the forehead would be the mark of the beast in the right hand or the forehead. Oh, and the connection there, that that might be to signify, look, if you believe in the Antichrist, he shed his blood for you. You know, he cut his hand and did the temple thing and he had this this forehead leprosy thing and died like he 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 died he died for you and came back so you got to you got to have the mark in your hand or your forehead to signify that you're identifying with that that could be the reason why it's uh the forehead and the hand um i got some more to talk about but we're going to do that in members only because we are on 37 minutes here. So if you have not had a chance, uh, please go to dailyrenegade.com and get a subscription. It's only $10 a month or 100 a year. And if you can do the 100 a year, do it. Because <laughs> that doesn't only help us out, but it's cheaper for you anyway. Um, you, you're only paying for 10 months and, and getting 12 months out of it. If you're paid every month, you'd be paying $120 for a year. So uh, if, you're, if, if you, if you want to do that, that would, that would be good. You'll save some money in the long run helps us out too. We're trying to, like I said before, we're trying to raise some money because, uh, we got to get the website fixed. 
Um, it's getting bogged down, and we want to develop an app. We found a company that can do it, but it's and they can do everything. They can fix the website. They can give us a TV app, a phone app, and um, they've already have a, a good trusted um, history because they've done that for Skywatch, and they're amazing. So, uh, uh, and I believe Prophecy Watchers and a couple other ministries out there. So we want to use them, um, but. Again, all that costs money. But what, once we can raise the funds for that, it'll be Daily Renegade is going to be a lot smoother, a lot easier to use. You'll be able to watch it on your TV, on your phone, and uh, it's just going to be a lot better. So that's the direction we're heading. Um, so your membership, your subscription helps help support that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, and I think at some time we're going to try to do a virtual conference just to try to raise funds for, for this as well. Um, I don't know exactly when, because something like that, it takes a, it's a lot of planning, and uh, I my, my full-time ministry job is Skywatch TV, so um, I don't do daily Renegade stuff on, on Skywatch time, that's their time, so I have to, I have to... I'm limited in how much I can actually do. So a lot of this is going to, um, a lot of this is going to be my, my wife, Christina, she's going to, she, she's helping run a lot of this too. She's doing a lot. And we're trying to teach our daughter how to do some of this stuff too. But, um, anyway, so that, that's kind of what we have in store for the future. Please pray about it. Pray for wisdom for myself, for Christina, for everybody here at Daily Renegade. Um, and pray that God provides. We know that he will. Uh, pray for him, uh, pray, pray for, pray that God will <laughs> provide for this. If this is what he wants, if this is not the direction that God wants us in, then please pray that God makes that, makes that known to us because, uh, we don't want to take this anywhere that God doesn't want to go. Uh, we, we were also talking about the possibility of someday going to donation only. And, um, and, and if, if, if God wants us to do that, we'll do that. But, uh, so we won't, in that case, we wouldn't be doing memberships anymore, but we'll, we'll see. We're, we're praying about it and you know, we want wisdom. Um, so yeah, we're going to pick this up in members only. So, um, get a membership if you don't have one already. And uh, again, that website is dailyrenegade.com. If, uh, yeah. Okay. So if you are a member and watching this on the website, just hang on the line. It's just going to go right into members only. You don't have to do anything. If you're watching this for free on YouTube or elsewhere, thank you so much. Um, that's it for this episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Take care. God bless. Uh, I do want to just initially say thank you to everybody who has supported us through Nathan's journey. Um, for those who aren't familiar, maybe you're just joining for the first time. For the past few years, my son has, uh, my very young son, he's eight now, but he's been dealing with cancer and remission, and now he's in, um, um, he's seeing a holistic health practitioner to cleanse his body from all the damage that the chemo did, which is actually really, really extensive. So, uh, the thing about that is it's not covered by insurance, of course, because it's real medicine and insurance doesn't have a stake in that apparently, but, uh, so we have to pay that out of pocket. Um, so we want to thank everybody who has helped support us, uh, not, not only through prayer and just general love and encouragement, but also financially, it's been a huge help. Um, for those, if you want to know how you can help, if you want to help Nathan, um, 
Best way to do it is uh, just look in the links in the description below. I believe there should be a PayPal address there. Christina posted something on my wall about all this. Uh, and I'll just read it because it gives all the information on how to donate if you want. But she wrote, Josh and I are so thankful for everyone over the years who has been there for us regarding Nathan. He is alive today because of all your generous support. Nathan now goes in for a holistic, completely natural and clean detox every week to undo the leftover damage done by the years of chemotherapy on the long road of recovery, which as you can imagine is very costly. Real holistic, all natural medicine tends to be. Insurance, of course, doesn't cover any of this, but like we tell Nathan, we refuse to put a price on his health. Nathan is getting better every day and loves his new natural health regimen. If you feel led to help us with Nathan's detox, we would be extremely grateful. The best way is either through PayPal or Cash App, and we also have a P.O. Box listed below, and of course, we value everyone's prayers. Thank you so much for helping keep our little guy around. Nathan loves you all. And then the PayPal link is paypal.me slash Josh Peck Disclosure. All one word. J-O-S-H-P-E-C-K-D-I-S-C-L-O-S-U-R-E. Uh, and then the cash app is the dollar sign Josh Scott Peck. All one word. J-O-S-H-S-C-O-T-T-P-E-C-K. And then our P.O. Box is Josh and Christina Peck. P.O. Box 396 Crane, Missouri 656. Uh, the easiest way is through PayPal, but um, I just wanted to get that out of the way first, and I wanted to thank everybody who has helped and uh, who's kept us in prayer um, and uh, who's been able to help financially as well.